This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. To find out how you can volunteer, please go to www.librivox.org. This reading by Patty Brugman. Chapter 19 A Pleasant Day with an Unpleasant Termination. The birds, who happily, for their own peace of mind and personal comfort, were in blissful ignorance of the preparations which had been making to astonish them, on the first of September hailed it, no doubt, as one of the pleasantest mornings they had seen that season. Many a young partridge, who stuttered complacently among the stubble, with all the finicking coxcombry of youth, and many an older one, who watched his levity out of his little round eye with the contemptuous air of a bird of wisdom and experience, alike unconscious of their approaching doom, basked in the fresh morning air with lively and blithesome feelings, and a few hours afterward were laid low upon the earth. But we grow affecting. Let us proceed. In plain, commonplace, matter-of-fact, then, it was a fine morning, so fine that you would scarcely have believed that the few months of an English summer had yet flown by. Hedges, fields, and trees, hill and moorland, presented to the eye their ever-varying shades of deep, rich green. Scarce a leaf had fallen, scarce a sprinkle of yellow mingled with the hues of summer, warned you that the autumn had begun. The sky was cloudless, the sun shone out bright and warm, the songs of birds and the hum of myriads of summer insects filled the air, and the cottage gardens, crowded with flowers of every rich and beautiful tint, sparkled in every dew like the beds of glittering jewels. Everything bore the stamp of summer, and none of its beautiful color had yet faded from the dye. Such was the morning when an open carriage in which three Pickwickians, Mr. Snodgrass having preferred to remain at home, Mr. Wardle and Mr. Trundle, with Sam Weller on the box beside the driver, pulled up by a gate at the roadside, before which stood a tall, raw-boned gamekeeper and a half-booted, leather-legginged boy, each bearing a bag of capacious dimensions and accompanied by a brace of pointers. "'I say,' whispered Mr. Winkle to Wardle, as a man let down three steps, they don't suppose we're going to kill game enough to fill those bags, do they? Fill em, exclaimed old Wardle. Bless you, yes. You shall fill one and I the other, and when we've done with them, the pockets of our shooting jackets will hold as much more. Mr. Winkle dismounted without saying anything in reply to this observation, but he thought within himself that if the party remained in the open air till they had filled one of the bags, they stood a considerable chance of catching colds in their heads. "'Hi, Juno, lass high, old girl. Down, daft, down,' said Wardle, caressing the dogs. "'Sir Geoffrey's still in Scotland, of course, Martin?' The tall gamekeeper replied in the affirmative, and looked with some surprise for Mr. Winkle, who was holding his gun, as if he wished his coat pocket to save him the trouble of pulling the trigger, to Mr. Tupham, who was holding his as if he was afraid of it, as there is no earthly reason to doubt he really was. "'My friends are not much in the way of this sort of thing yet, Martin,' said Wardle, not noticing the look. "'Live and learn, you know. There'll be good shots one of these days. I beg my friend Winkle's pardon, though. He has had some practice.' Mr. Winkle smiled feebly over his blue neckerchief in acknowledgment of the compliment, and got himself so mysteriously entangled with his gun, in his modest confusion, that if the piece had been loaded— he must inevitably have shot himself dead upon the spot. 
"'You mustn't handle your piece in that er uh, way "'when you come to have the charge of it, sir,' "'said the tall gamekeeper gruffly. "'Or I'm damned if you won't make cold meat of some of us.' "'Mr. Winkle, thus admonished, "'abruptly altered his position, "'and in so doing contrived to bring the barrel "'into pretty smart contact with Mr. Weller's head. Hello, said Sam, picking up his hat, which had been knocked off, and rubbing his temple. Hello, sir. If you comes it this way, you'll fill one of them bags, and something to spare at one fire. Here the leather-legged boy laughed very heartily, and then tried to look as if it was somebody else, whereat Mr. Winkle frowned majestically. Where did you tell the boy to meet us with that snack, Martin? inquired Wardle. "'Side of One Tree Hill, twelve o'clock, sir.' "'That's not Sir Geoffrey's land, is it?' "'No, sir, but it's close by it.' "'It's Captain Boldwig's land. "'But there'll be nobody to interrupt us, "'and there's a fine bit of turf there.' "'Very well,' said old Wardle. "'Now the sooner we're off, the better. "'Will you join us at twelve, then, Pickwick?' "'Mr. Pickwick was particularly desirous to view the sport, "'the more especially as if he was rather anxious "'in respect of Mr. Winkle's life and limbs.' On so inviting a morning, too, it was very tantalizing to turn back and leave his friends to enjoy themselves. It was, therefore, with a very rueful air that he replied, "'Why, I suppose I must.' "'Ain't the gentleman a shot, sir?' inquired the long gamekeeper. "'No,' replied Wardle. "'And he's lame, besides.' "'I should very much like to go,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Very much.' There was a short pause of commiseration. "'There's a bar on the other side of the hedge,' said the boy." If the gentleman servant would wheel along the paths, he could keep nigh us, and we could lift it over the stiles and that. The wary thing, said Mr. Weller, who was a party interested, inasmuch as he ardently longed to see the sport. The wary thing. Well said, small cheek, and I'll have it out in a minute. But here a difficulty arose. The long gamekeeper resolutely protested against the introduction into a shooting party of a gentleman in a borough as a gross violation of all established rules and precedents. It was a great objection, but not an insurmountable one. The gamekeeper, having been coaxed and fed, and having moreover eased his mind by punching the head of the inventive youth, who had first suggested the use of the machine, Mr. Pickwick was placed in it, and off the party set, Wardle and the long gamekeeper leading the way, and Mr. Pickwick in the borrow, propelled by Sam, bringing up the rear. "'Stop, Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, when they had got half across the first field. "'What's the matter now?' said Wardle. "'I won't suffer this barrow to be moved another step,' said Mr. Pickwick, resolutely, "'unless Mr. Winkle carries that gun of his in a different manner.' "'How am I to carry it?' said wretched Winkle. "'Carry it with the muzzle to the ground,' replied Mr. Pickwick. "'It's so unsportsmanlike,' reasoned Winkle. "'I don't care whether it's unsportsmanlike or not,' replied Mr. Pickwick. "'I am not going to be shot in a wheelbarrow for the sake of appearances to please anybody. "'I know the gentleman'll put that er charge into somebody afore he's done,' growled the long man. "'Well, well, I don't mind,' said poor Winkle, turning his gunstock uppermost. "'There!' "'Anything for a quiet life,' said Mr. Weller, and on they went again. "'Stop,' said Mr. Pickwick, after they had gone a few yards farther. "'What now?' said Wardle. "'That gun of Tupman's is not safe. I know it isn't,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'Eh, what not safe?' said Mr. Tupman, in a tone of great alarm. "'Not as you were carrying it,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'I am very sorry to make any further objection, but I cannot consent to go on unless you carry it as Winkle does.' 
think you had better, sir, said the long gamekeeper, or you're quite as likely to lodge the charge in yourself as in anything else. Mr. Tupman, with the most obliging haste, placed his piece in the position required, and the party moved on again, the two amateurs marching with reversed arms like a couple of privates at a royal funeral. The dog suddenly came to a dead stop, and the party, advancing stealthily, a single pace, stopped too. "'What's the matter with the dog's leg?' whispered Mr. Winkle. "'How queer they're standing!' "'Hush, can't you?' replied Wardle softly. "'Don't you see? They're making a point.' "'Making a point?' said Mr. Winkle, staring about him as if he expected to discover some particular beauty in the landscape which the sagacious animals were calling special attention to. "'Making a point? What are they pointing at?' "'Keep your eyes open,' said Wardle, not heeding the question in the excitement of the moment. "'Now then!' There was a sharp, whirring noise that made Mr. Winkle start back as if he had been shot himself. "'Bang, bang!' went a couple of guns. The smoke swept quickly over a field and curled into the air. "'Where are they?' said Mr. Winkle, in a state of the highest excitement, turning around and round in all directions. "'Where are they? Tell me when to fire. Where are they? Where are they?' "'Where are they?' said Wardle, taking up a brace of birds which the dogs had deposited at his feet. "'Why, here they are.' "'No, no, I mean the others,' said the bewildered Winkle. "'Far enough off by this time,' replied Wardle, coolly reloading his gun. "'We shall very likely be up with another covey in five minutes,' said the gamekeeper. "'If the gentleman begins to fire now, perhaps he'll just get the shot out of the barrel by the time they rise.' "'Ha, ha, ha!' roared Mr. Weller. "'Sam,' said Mr. Pickwick, compassionating his followers' confusion and embarrassment. "'Sir, don't laugh.' "'Certainly not, sir.' So, by way of indemnification, Mr. Weller contorted his features from behind the wheelbarrow, for the exclusive amusement of the boy with the leggings, who thereupon burst into the most boisterous laugh, and was summarily cuffed by the long gamekeeper, who wanted a pretext for turning round to hide his own merriment.' "'Bravo, old fellow,' said Wardle to Mr. Tupman. "'You fired that time, at all events.' "'Oh, yes,' replied Mr. Tupman, with conscious pride. "'I let it off.' "'Well done. You'll hit something next time if you look sharp. "'Very easy, ain't it?' "'Yes, it's very easy,' said Mr. Tupman. "'How it hurts one's shoulder, though. It nearly knocked me backwards. "'I had no idea these small firearms kicked so.' "'Ah,' said the old gentleman, smiling. "'You'll get used to it in time.' "'Now then, all ready? All right with the barrow there?' "'All right, sir,' replied Mr. Weller. "'Come along, then.' "'Hold hard, sir,' said Sam, raising the barrow. "'Aye, aye,' replied Mr. Pickwick, and on they went, as briskly as need be. "'Keep that barrow back now,' cried Wardle, when it had been hoisted over a stile into another field, and Mr. Pickwick had been deposited in it once more. "'All right, sir,' replied Mr. Weller, pausing. "'Now, Winkle?' said the old gentleman. Follow me softly, and don't be too late this time. Never fear, said Mr. Winkle. Are they pointing? No, no, not now. Quietly, now, quietly. On they crept, and very quietly they would have advanced, if Mr. Winkle, in the performance of some very intricate evolutions with his gun, had not accidentally fired, at the most critical moment, over the boy's head, exactly in the very spot where the tall man's brain would have been, had he been there instead. "'Why, what on earth did you do that for?' said old Wardle, as the birds flew unharmed away. "'I never saw such a gun in my life,' replied poor Mr. Winkle, looking at the lock as if that would do any good. 
it will do it. We'll do it, echoed Wardle with something of irritation in his manner. I wish it would kill something of its own accord. It'll do that afore long, sir, observed the tall man in a low, prophetic voice. What do you mean by that observation, sir? inquired Mr. Winkle angrily. Never mind, sir, never mind, replied the long gamekeeper. I've no family myself, sir, and this ere boy's mother will get something handsome from Sir Geoffrey, if he's killed on his own land. Load again, sir, load again. Take away his gun, cried Mr. Pickwick from the barrow, horror-stricken at the long man's dark insinuations. Take away his gun, do you hear? Somebody. Nobody, however, volunteered to obey the command, and Mr. Winkle, after darting a rebellious glance at Mr. Pickwick, reloaded his gun, and proceeded onward with the rest. We are bound on the authority of Mr. Pickwick to state that Mr. Tupman's mode of proceeding evinced far more of prudence and deliberation than that adopted by Mr. Winkle. Still this by no means detracts from the great authority of the latter gentleman on all matters connected with the field, because, as Mr. Pickwick beautifully observes, it had somehow or other happened from time immemorial that many of the best and ablest philosophers who have been perfect lights of science in matters of theory have been wholly unable to reduce them to practice. Mr. Tupman's process, like many of our most sublime discoveries, was extremely simple. With the quickness and penetration of a man of genius, he had at once observed that the two great points to be obtained were, first, to discharge his piece without injury to himself, and secondly, to do so without danger to the bystanders. Obviously, the best thing to do after surmounting the difficulty of firing at all was to shut his eyes firmly and fire into the air. On one occasion after performing this feat, Mr. Tupman, on opening his eyes, beheld a plump partridge in the act of falling wounded to the ground. He was on the point of congratulating Mr. Wardle on his invariable success when that gentleman advanced toward him and grasped him warmly by the hand. Tupman, said the old gentleman, you singled out that particular bird? No, said Mr. Tupman, no. You did, said Wardle. I saw you do it. I observed you pick him out. I noticed you as you raised your piece to take aim. And I will say this, that the best shot in existence could not have done it more beautifully. You are an older hand at this than I thought you, Tupman. You have been out before. It was in vain for Mr. Tupman to protest, with a smile of self-denial that he never had. The very smile was taken as evidence to the contrary, and from that time forth his reputation was established. It is not the only reputation that has been acquired as easily, nor are such fortunate circumstances confined to partridge shooting. Meanwhile, Mr. Winkle flashed and blazed and smoked away without producing any material results worthy of being noted down, sometimes expending his charge in mid-air, and at others sending it skimming along so near the surface of the ground as to place the lives of the two dogs on a rather uncertain and precarious tenure. As a display of fancy shooting, it was extremely varied and curious. As an exhibition of firing, with any precise object it was, upon the whole, perhaps a failure. It is an established axiom that every bullet has its billet. If it apply in an equal degree to shot, those of Mr. Winkle were unfortunate foundlings, deprived of their natural rights, cast loose upon the world, and billeted nowhere. Well, said Wardle, walking up to the side of the barrow, and wiping the streams of perspiration from his jolly red face, smoking day, isn't it? It is indeed, replied Mr. Pickwick. 
The sun is tremendously hot, even to me. I don't know how you must feel it. Why, said the old gentleman, pretty hot. It's past twelve, though. You see that green hill there? Certainly. That's the place where we are to lunch. And by Jove, there's the boy with the basket, punctual as clockwork. So he is, said Mr. Pickwick, brightening up. Good boy, that. I'll give him a shilling presently. Now then, Sam, wheel away. Hold on, sir, said Mr. Weller, invigorated with the prospect of refreshments. Out of my way, young leathers. If you wally my precious life, don't upset me, as that gentleman said to the driver when they was carrying him to the Tyburn. And quickening his pace to a sharp run, Mr. Weller wheeled his master nimbly to the green hill, shot him dexterously out by the very side of the basket, and proceeded to unpack it with the utmost dispatch. Wheel pie, said Weller, soliloquizing as he arranged the eatables on the grass. Very good thing is wheel pie when you know the lady has made it, and is quite sure it ain't kittens. And arter all, where's the odds when they're so like wheel that the wary piemen themselves don't know the difference? Don't they, Sam? said Mr. Pickwick. Not they, sir, replied Mr. Weller, touching his hat. I lodged in the same house with a pieman once, sir, and a very nice man he was, regular clever chap, too. Makes pies out of anything he could. What a number of cats you keep, Mr. Brooks, says I, when I'd got intimate with him. I, says he, I do a good many, says he. You must be very fond of cats, says I. Other people is, he says, a-winking at me. They ain't in season till the winter, though, says he. Not in season, says I. No, says he, fruits is in, cats is out. Why, what do you mean, says I? Mean, says he? That I'll never be a party to the combination of the butchers to keep up the price of meat, says he. Mr. Weller, says he, a squeezing my hand wary hard and whispering in my ear, don't mention this here again, but it's the season as it does it. They're all made of them noble animals, says he, appointing to a wary nice little tabby kitten, and I seasons them for beefsteak, weal, or kidney, according to the demand. And more than that, says he, I can make a wheel, a beefsteak, or a beefsteak, a kidney, or any one on em a mutton at a minute's notice, just as the market changes and the appetites wary. He must have been a very ingenious young man, that, Sam, said Mr. Pickwick, with a slight shudder. Just was, sir, replied Mr. Weller, continuing his occupation of emptying the basket, and the pies was beautiful. Tongue, well, that's the wary thing, when it ain't a woman's. Bread, knuckle of ham, regular picter, cold beef and slices, wary good. What's in them stone jars, young touch-and-go? Beer in this one, replied the boy, taking from his shoulder a couple of large bottles fastened together by a leathern strap, cold punch in the other. And a wary good notion of a lunch it is, take it all together, said Mr. Weller, surveying his arrangement of the repast with great satisfaction. Now, gentlemen... Fall on, as the English said to the French when they fixed baggonets. It needed no second invitation to induce the party to yield full justice to the meal, and as little pressing did it require to induce Mr. Weller, the long gamekeeper, and the two boys to station themselves on the grass at a little distance and to do execution of a decent proportion of the viands. An old oak afforded a pleasant shelter to the group, and a rich prospect of arable and meadowland intersected with luxuriant 
hedges, and richly ornamented with wood, lay spread out before them. "'This is delightful, thoroughly delightful,' said Mr. Pickwick, the skin of whose expressive countenance was rapidly peeling off with exposure to the sun. "'So it is, so it is, old fellow,' replied Wardle. "'Come, a glass of punch?' "'With great pleasure,' said Mr. Pickwick, the satisfaction of whose countenance, after drinking it, bore testimony to the sincerity of the reply. "'Good,' said Mr. Pickwick, smacking his lips. "'Very good. I'll take another. Cool, very cool. Come, gentlemen,' continued Mr. Pickwick, still retaining his hold upon the jar. "'A toast. Our friends at Dingley Dell.' The toast was drunk with loud acclamations. "'I'll tell you what I shall do to get up my shooting again,' said Mr. Winkle, who was eating bread and ham with a pocket-knife. "'I'll put a stuffed partridge on the top of a post and practice at it, beginning at a short distance and lengthening it by degrees. I understand it's capital practice.' "'I know a gentleman, sir,' said Mr. Weller, as did that, and begun at two yards. But he never tried it on again, for he blowed the bird clean away at the first fire.' and nobody ever seed a feather on him afterwards. Sam, said Mr. Pickwick. Sir, replied Mr. Weller, have the goodness to reserve your anecdotes till they are called for. Certainly, sir. Here Mr. Weller winked the eye which was not concealed by the beer-can he was raising to his lips, with such exquisite facetiousness that the two boys went into spontaneous convulsions, and even the long man condescended to smile. "'Well, that certainly is most capital cold punch,' said Mr. Pickwick, looking earnestly at the stone bottle. "'And the day is extremely warm, and Tupman, my dear friend, a glass of punch?' "'With the greatest delight,' replied Tupman. And having drank that glass, Mr. Pickwick took another just to see whether there was any orange peel in the punch, because orange peel always disagreed with him. And finding that there was not, Mr. Pickwick took another glass.' to the health of their absent friend, and then felt himself imperatively called upon to propose another, in honour of the punch compounder, unknown. This constant succession of glasses produced considerable effect upon Mr. Pickwick. His countenance beamed with the most sunny smiles, laughter played around his lips, and good-humoured merriment twinkled in his eye. Yielding by degrees to the influence of the exciting liquid, Rendered more so by the heat, Mr. Pickwick expressed a strong desire to recollect a song which he had heard in his infancy, and the attempt, proving abortive, sought to stimulate his memory with more glasses of punch, which appeared to have quite a contrary effect, for, from forgetting the words of the song, he began to forget how to articulate any words at all. And finally, after rising to his legs to address the company in an eloquent speech, he fell into the barrow, and fast asleep simultaneously. The basket having been repacked, and it being found perfectly impossible to awaken Mr. Pickwick from his torpor, some discussion took place whether it would be better for Mr. Weller to wheel his master back again, or to leave him where he was until they should all be ready to return. The latter course was at length decided on, and as the further expedition was not to exceed an hour's duration, and as Mr. Weller begged very hard to be one of the party, it was determined to leave Mr. Pickwick asleep in the barrow, and to call for him on their return. So away they went, leaving Mr. Pickwick snoring most comfortably in the shade. That Mr. Pickwick would have continued to snore in the shade until his friends came back, or in default thereof until the shades of evening had fallen on the landscapes, there appears no reasonable cause to doubt. 
always supposing that he had been suffered to remain there in peace. But he was not suffered to remain there in peace, and this was what prevented him. Captain Boldwig was a fierce little man in a stiff black neckerchief and blue surtout, who, when he did condescend to walk about his property, did it in company with a thick rattan stick and a brass ferrule, with a gardener and a sub-gardener with meek faces to whom, the gardeners, not the stick, Captain Boldwig gave his orders, and with all due grandeur and ferocity, for Captain Boldwig's wife's sister had married a marquis, and the captain's house was a villa, and his land grounds, and it was all very high and mighty and great. Mr. Pickwick had not been asleep half an hour when little Captain Boldwig, followed by the two gardeners, came striding along as fast as his size and importance would let him. And when he came near the oak tree, Captain Boldwig paused and drew a long breath and looked at the prospect as if he thought the prospect ought to be highly gratified at having him to take notice of it. And then he struck the ground emphatically with a stick and summoned the head gardener. Hunt, said Captain Boldwig. Yes, sir, said the gardener. Roll this place tomorrow morning, do you hear, Hunt? Yes, sir. And take care that you keep this place in good order, do you hear, Hunt? Yes, sir. And remind me to have a board done about trespassers and spring guns and all that sort of thing to keep the common people out, do you hear, Hunt? Do you hear? I'll not forget it, sir. I beg your pardon, sir, said the other man, advancing with his hand to his hat. Well, Wilkins, what's the matter with you? said Captain Boldwick. I beg your pardon, sir, but I think there have been trespassers here today. Ha! Huh? said Captain, scowling at him. Yes, sir. They've been dining here, I think, sir. Why, damn their audacity, so they have, said Captain Boldwig, as the crumbs and fragments that were strewn upon the grass met his eye. They have actually been devouring their food here. I wish I had the vagabonds here, said the Captain, clenching the thick stick. I wish I had the vagabonds here, said the captain wrathfully. Beg your pardon, sir, said Wilkins, but... But what, eh? roared the captain, and following the timid glance of Wilkins, his eyes encountered the wheelbarrow and Mr. Pickwick. Who are you, you rascal, said the captain, administering several pokes to Mr. Pickwick's body with the thick stick. What's your name? Cold punch, murmured Mr. Pickwick as he sank to sleep again. What? demanded Captain Boldwig. No reply. What did he say his name was? asked the captain. Punch, I think, sir, replied Wilkins. That's his impudence, that's his confounded impudence, said Captain Boldwig. He's only feigning to be asleep now, said the captain in a high passion. He's drunk. He's a drunken plebeian. Wheel him away, Wilkins. Wheel him away directly. Where shall I wheel him to, sir? inquired Wilkins with great timidity. "'Wheel him to the devil,' replied Captain Boldwig. "'Very well, sir,' said Wilkins. "'Stay,' said the captain. Wilkins stopped accordingly. "'Wheel him,' said the captain. "'Wheel him to the pound, "'and let us see whether he calls himself Punch "'when he comes to himself. "'He shall not bully me. "'He shall not bully me. "'Wheel him away.' "'Away Mr. Pickwick was wheeled "'in compliance with this imperious mandate.' and the great Captain Boldwig, swelling with indignation, proceeded on his walk. Inexpressible was the astonishment of the little party when they returned to find that Mr. Pickwick had disappeared, and taken the wheelbarrow with him. It was the most mysterious and unaccountable thing that ever was. 
for a lame man to have gotten upon his legs without any previous notice and walked off would have been most extraordinary but when it came to his wheeling a heavy barrow before him by way of amusement it grew positively miraculous they searched every nook and corner around together and separately they shouted whistled laughed called and all in the same result mr pickwick was not to be found after some fruitless search they arrived at the unwelcome conclusion that they must go home without him meanwhile mr pickwick had been wheeled to the pound and deposited safely therein fast asleep on the wheelbarrow to the immeasurable delight and satisfaction not only of all the boys in the village but three-fourths of the whole population who had gathered round in expectation of his waking if their most intense gratification had been awakened by seeing him wheeled in how many hundredfold was their joy increased when after a few indistinct cries of sam he sat up in the wheelbarrow and gazed with indescribable astonishment at the faces before him a general shout was of course the signal of his having woke up and his involuntary inquiry of what's the matter occasioned another louder than the first if possible here's a game roared the populace where am i exclaimed mr pickwick in the pound replied the mob how came i here what was i doing where was i brought from boldwick captain boldwick was the only reply let me out cried mr pickwick where's my servant where's my friends you ain't got no friends hurrah then there came a turnip then a potato and then an egg with a few other little tokens of playful disposition of the many-headed how long this scene might have lasted or how much more pickwick might have suffered no one can tell had not a carriage which was driven swiftly by suddenly pulled up from whence there descended old wardle and sam weller the former of whom in far less time than it takes to write it if not read it had made his way to mr pickwick's side and placed him in the vehicle just as the latter had concluded the third and last round of a single combat with the town beetle run to the justices cried a dozen voices ah run away said mr weller jumping up on the box give my compliments mr weller's compliments to the justice and tell him i've spilled his beetle and that if he'll swear in a new one i'll come back again tomorrow and spell him drive on old feller i'll give directions for the commencement of an action for false imprisonment against this captain boldwood directly i get to london said mr pickwick as soon as the carriage turned out of the town we were trespassing it seems says wardle i don't care said mr pickwick i'll bring the action no you won't said wardle i will buy but as there was a humorous expression in wardle's face mr pickwick checked himself and said why not because said old wardle half bursting with laughter because they might turn on some of us and say we had taken too much cold punch do what he would a smile would come into mr pickwick's face the smile extended into a laugh the laugh into a roar and the roar became general so to keep up their good humour they stopped at the first roadside tavern they came to and ordered a glass of brandy and water all around with a magnum of extra strength for mr samuel weller end of chapter nineteen read by patty brugman